Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for episode 10 of season six of Supergirl titled Still I Rise. And the topic for this week is authenticity, which is relevant because the season we're seeing the characters struggle with feelings of powerlessness personally and pro-socially and finding their way to being the truest version of themselves in the face of that. Like with Kara, we have her feelings of powerlessness with regard to the Phantom Zone and like, what if that fear never goes away? Mm. And then, you know, Know, contrasting with that, Zorel's message to her, sometimes even though you're Kryptonian, it's okay to be human. I like the implication that humans face doubt, but Kryptonians like don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a two-pronged message of like, it's okay if you're vibing with this culture right. and also their colloquial meaning of being a human person Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he learned from his research from Sesame Street. Yes, fair. And for Alex, we have her questions of like, what's my purpose now back when Kara was in the Phantom Zone? And what's the point of trying anything else? That double pronged like powerlessness and Mm -hmm. who am I? And then Jean, we have thinking in terms of family versus thinking in terms of a soldier, that coping mechanism he used for overcoming the sense of powerlessness. So for this episode, we're looking at authenticity, which is the quality of being true to yourself and also true with others in the context of Still I Rise. And I have a quote from Brene Brown, who is a researcher into the concept of like vulnerability. Your favorite thing. (laughs) My favorite thing. (laughs) And she says, authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are, which is a big thing for Supergirl's TV show generally. And in this episode, we see authenticity kind of thematically pitted against shame and perfectionism. Mm. And perfectionism, in a way, kind of vibes with Kara in this episode. Yeah, Kara is a character who, as we know, puts a lot of responsibility on herself. Mm-hmm. And it's because she knows that she has the ability to change things, not only for herself, but either on purpose or inadvertently for men. Many people around her just by virtue of being who she is, especially when she is acting as Supergirl. And Mm -hmm. this is something we've seen her be very mindful of even since the beginning of the series. And one of the ways that the show has done a nice job of conveying that is that they make it very clear that Kara means what she says when she says it, especially if she is being Supergirl Mm -hmm. for the public or just individuals that she's rescued. For example, like... There's been a really clear, consistent pattern of Kara assuring people that they're safe when they are genuinely safe in contrast Mm -hmm. to other characters. And I'm sorry, Jean, but (laughs) you telling the Lockwoods they were safe as their house burst into flames is just always going to be my favorite contrast example. Uh, Mm -hmm. We see her promising to protect people, always saying, you know, to the best of her ability. And she doesn't make Mm -hmm. those assurances lightly. And she will really judge herself if for some reason she's incapable of following through on those promises, such as last season with Russell, where she did everything that she could. And then Lena intentionally interfered in a way Mm -hmm. that harmed everyone and made Kara kind of not be able to fulfill her promise. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't just apply to Kara as Supergirl. We also see this in Kara as Kara Danvers with her, well, I'll fix this confidence uh, (laughs) 
even in situations where you're like, there shouldn't be a way that you can, but <laughs> such as when she kind of starts interfering in Kat's relationship with her estranged son and it goes a little off and Kara's like, well, I'll fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> and we see this even with teenage Kara after Kenny dies in the original timeline. She promises his mom that she'll find the telescope. Right. And it's an adventure, but she does. <laughs> <laughs> but within this lens of Kara's determination and this view of who she is and meaning what she says to people, sometimes she makes promises that she knows she will keep, but she keeps them at a very great cost to herself. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the Midvale episode from season three, we have at the very end, Kara say to Alex, I'd rather be Kara Danvers than risk losing you. And in the kind of epilogue of that episode, we find out that she kept that promise for a solid decade <laughs> until the conflict became be Cara Danvers and risk losing you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She even says to Nia in season four, like thinking back upon that time, I hid who I was for far too long because of my family. Yeah. And we see in some flashbacks in season one that there was a cost to Kara of not embracing who she was and using her powers because she was still aware of the fact that people were suffering mm -hmm. and she was just actively choosing to restrain herself for the safety of her family and prioritizing that. And Kat is the one who confronts her about it and is like, you know, where were you during the wildfires? But then it's interesting, though, in the other timeline, when we see in the season six flashback to Kara as a senior in high school, she also makes a promise that maybe isn't what she wants, but she knew she'd already said something. When we find out she's planning to tell Kenny before the do-over that she's going to stay in Midvale with him and go to college there because she had already said she would, mm -hmm. even though she got into the college that she really wants to go to and she deep down wants to go there. Mm -hmm. And then the time travel allows her to go back and, you know, make that braver choice to do the thing that's really what she wants. Yeah. And then to kind of round out all these different interpersonal relationships where Kara's made promises and then done her best to keep them, even though she is <laughs> suffering. There's also her promise to Lena in season two that she'll always be her friend, no matter what, as like a reassurance, like, I'm not judging you for being a Luther. Mm -hmm. And Kara sure keeps that promise, even, <laughs> even in the face of Lena's escalating yeah. questionable behavior and her just blatant mistreatment of Kara that is eventually revealed in season five. And kind of one of the most obvious examples from early in season five before Lena reveals what she's doing is she uses Kara's promise and her own knowledge of who Kara is in a way that Kara doesn't know about to convince Kara to do something extremely illegal and abuse her power as Supergirl in order to steal Lex's journals from the prison, allegedly because Lena wanted them for emotional comfort, but in reality because Lena wanted to use the knowledge in them to create something that ended up being not great. Not great, yeah. <laughs> And Kara also in that episode, she promises the thing to Lena, like in the heat of the moment to make her feel better. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the rest of the episode mm -hmm. is like doubting it and like talks to different people like Alex <laughs> and James about it. Because obviously she's uncomfortable with it, but she's trying to figure out what she's supposed to do. And then ultimately falls back on going with her word that she gave to Lena. Yep. And then in Dreamweaver, 
last episode in season six, episode nine, Kara promises Orlando, I will do everything in my power to make sure your voices are heard. And in Still I Rise, the current episode, when something goes wrong with Orlando getting his life back on track with the apartment he's trying to acquire, she shows up for him. And when Orlando explains what's going to happen to the Ormfell building, and basically he thinks he's explaining how hopeless it is, Car is like, Orlando, I told you I'd have your back, and I meant it. And then she flies away <laughs> to go capture the building and give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> She's just going to pick it up and move it somewhere else. <laughs> yes. Which I feel like is probably something that like Kara just wishes she could do, because <laughs> it's a very Kara energy thing of just like, I will physically move the earth <laughs> to make this happen. She'll find a way. She'll find a way. And we see throughout the episode Kara trying different methods to keep her promise. But these methods don't come from, for her, a place of like authenticity, which is a vibe we get straight off in the episode with the PSA that she and Brainy do. Ha, yes. Obviously not related to her goal with Orlando, but she's trying to help. And you can tell that she's really not feeling the passion for the Greens. And with Orlando and trying to help him, she first tries to come at solving the problem from a place of objectivity, which is something that she's learned as a reporter over the years. <laughs> yes. That's not her initial instinct, but it's something that like she's clearly like drilled into her head. Which is kind of a nice way to show her growth, but then she also has to grow in a different way with relation to it. So in the episode, she does all this research into like statistics on like housing and recidivism in the heights and tries to become like an expert on the topic from that place of objectivity, as opposed to, you know, getting a bunch of interviews about people who are personally affected, which is something that more vibes with what she does later. And then the other thing she tries to do is the social media takeover that she initially is resistant to saying, I don't know if that's her style, though, referring to, of course, Supergirl. And she was right. <laughs> yes. And then when she does the social media takeover, a woman calls her a hypocrite, which is the very thing that Carr is trying to avoid being. She wants to keep her word. So that's not going great. And the other thing that woman says is, you're always going on TV telling people like me to have hope that things will get better. And now that they finally are, he wants to give all that up. And it's interesting because, you know, the obvious speech that comes to mind of time that Cara went on TV mm. <laughs> telling people to be hopeful is the season one hope speech during Myriad, where Cara was speaking to the concept of hope pretty broadly because she was trying to make them feel hope in order to break out of the myriad mind control. And this general idea that like things will be okay is something that Kara is good at, but it's less effective <laughs> for this specific scenario. But then Kelly reminds Kara what she usually does in that situation, which is when you talk down a bad guy, you don't rattle off facts and figures, you share your personal experiences. And that's what inspires people to do the right thing. And that observation from Kelly allows Kara to clock what is missing, that real personal connection to the story. And Kara says, my voice is not the one that's important right now. Maybe I step aside and use my platform to amplify others' voices. And this is interestingly relevant to one of Kara's core struggles, as we set it up, which is her feeling like she has to be all things to all people. And she, as Supergirl, has to be able to fix everything 
She as Cara Danvers has to be the perfect friend. And that concept in her head is sort of battling against the, you don't need to carry the weight of this world or any world on your shoulders every moment of every day that we see from Zorel. And so in this episode, in recognizing that she doesn't have to mold herself into something inauthentic in order to help Orlando, she gives Orlando the room to actually save the day. And Orlando as a character has been fun and <laughs> yes, is also interesting in the sense that he's someone with a lot of the qualities that make Kara an effective hero. Mm. But of course, in this case, is someone who also can speak authentically to the challenges <laughs> that they are facing directly. We see how he is willing to be vulnerable in speeches when he's trying to convince people of something, sharing his hardships and asking for help. And not that it's necessarily easy. We see some hints of like shame around his like vulnerability in the acting in his scene with Supergirl on the basketball court. And Supergirl says, I'm sorry, that's so horrible about the Ormfell. And he like looks down in a way and like shrugs a little. And it kind of mirrors how we'll see Kara react when somebody shows like sympathy for her in that sort of I don't want to be someone who needs help way. Yeah. But he pushes past it because it's important to him to do so because he has feelings of responsibility. And his drive is, like he says, giving his brother some hope. He talks about, you know, see, I remember what it felt like to go to bed at night with my family nearby, to feel safe, to feel loved. But Joey doesn't. And it very much reminds me of like if Kara had taken care of Clark, especially because yeah. Orlando was only 14 when he lost his parents. Which, again, goes back to this being an experience that Kara has not actually had. And in Orlando, it takes a different flavor in terms of vulnerability, especially because he is a man and a black man and is nice in terms of seeing him not fall into like toxic masculinity of like, I need to take care of this on my own. He uses his voice to reach other people and expects empathy from them and makes a change in that way. And we see how he's currently struggling with the part of like being a Supergirl-like hero that is shifting his thought of like, things get better until they get worse to things will get better. <laughs> but the resiliency is there in Orlando and we see how he keeps trying and we see how he like, you know, finds humor in dark situations. Mm. Like when the Ormfell is oh, right. falling yeah. apart and he's when like... being attacked and he makes a joke about uh, moving in I was versus trying to get moving in here, out. But... Yeah. <laughs> I have some regrets. And so for Orlando, I hope that we get to see him maybe like grow his hero career, his like hope speech giving career <laughs> throughout the season. And in terms of Kara, we see how Orlando taking up the mantle for this cause and the idea of generally like stronger together gives Kara the room to be at peace with herself, which is a big thing throughout the season. In this episode, she had Kelly helping her figure things out. Jean and she had a nice moment where he like phased with her into the danger. Oh, yeah. That was a cool scene. Yeah. And then Brainy at the end of the episode says, I can't promise you it'll ever get easier, but I can promise this. I will be beside you every step of the way. But then, of course, we have Nixley, who immediately thereafter isolates Kara from any help, puts the blame on her shoulders and then says, unlike you, I am a woman of my word. <laughs> yes, which we know already is a lie. Well, actually, we'll talk about this more, but it's not a lie. But as we've already established, you know, Kara keeps her word. It's so mm -hmm. Nixley. Nixley's not entirely being true here. It's also interesting you point out she isolates Kara because she does the same thing to Nia. 
earlier in the episode and then is like i'm gonna make sure that no one thinks about you because you're not important yeah and then you know speaking of digging in to those wounds she captures Kara, and then she kind of mocks her and says you're all alone and utterly powerless and it's actually resetting Kara to the position in which nixley first met her in the phantom zone Mm. where she was alone she had no power she had no help yeah. So for those people who were saying hadn't seen Kara feeling upset in a while, <laughs> give it time. Give it time. <laughs> yeah. Which let's take a closer look at Nixley, who was very interesting in this episode. <laughs> she was. She was. We see how she contrasting with Orlando, who is someone Kara has a kind of kinship in terms of like values and, and skills, as we see. Nixley is a great foil <laughs> for Kara. A foil being a character who contrasts with another character and thus highlights their qualities in the process in the ways that they are not the same. (laughs) Yeah, Nixley is being set up to be probably one of the best opponents for Kara that the series has Mm -hmm. done. Because if you think about it, technically Nixley is also offering hope, help, and uh, (laughs) compassion to her (laughs) eventual victims. (laughs) (laughs) yes it's like it's how she lures them in so she comes Mm -hmm. across as Kara like in her values up to the point at which she's like huh just kidding and then she ruins your (laughs) life which was why I was like I love her and then I mean I still love her but in a very different way (laughs) so the reason Nixley is so good at identifying marks so people that she's looking to get something from and harm essentially yeah is that she's very good at some kinds of empathy speaking of you know last week empathy as kelly's superpower right nixley's good at certain kinds of it but not others Mm -hmm. the one place where she is quite skilled is with cognitive empathy which means she gets a very thorough and accurate understanding of how someone else's mind works and what they're feeling And then she can Mm -hmm. use this to craft a personal narrative of her own that will resonate for whoever she's talking to Mm -hmm. in a way that she can then use to manipulate them to get what she wants. We see it with everyone that she's interacted with so far. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where she's weaker is in what's called affective empathy, which is your ability to decode the emotional outputs that someone else is giving you. So like literally identifying their specific emotions in a way that allows you to then respond appropriately as you would in the course of a normal conversation. Yeah, which is where we saw in Dreamweaver, the last episode, her not be as an effective persuader (laughs) with Nia, even though Nia ultimately did decide to, you know, quote unquote, trust her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she knew something was off in a way that at other points, other characters have not. Yeah. So to give you a good contrast example with Kara, if you think back to the season three premiere, when Kara is at her kind of emotional lowest and her willingness to connect with people is at a low. Mm-hmm. Even among that and with her being so focused on her goal, which is catching that villain blood sport, when the person is hurt, she still stops. She still sees their fear, their concern, and she stays and reassures them right. in a way that is calming and makes them feel better. Mm-hmm. Versus with Nixley, when people start deviating from her program... Or she's getting impatient with them. We see the facade 
of compassion start to crack and fall away. Right. And she gets aggressive. She gets nasty. She gets intense. You see that she likes the vengeance. Yeah. Intense is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> Where, like I said, with Nia, Nia's like not agreeing with her. And then instead of what another person might do is like back off a little bit, give her some breathing room, be nicer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nixley gets more intense and persistent in a way that is not persuasive or empathetic. Mm, It's a little bit more like Lex, which we saw earlier this season. Right. Yes. So like with Kara, she uses authentic, vulnerable sharing of who she is to connect to people, help them and convince them to help her. Except that her story is fake and custom built to manipulate them. She sort of steals their their voice in a way yes and then i went yes so like ursula from the little mermaid without the singing although maybe that'll be the key next week (gasps) (gasps) we've cracked the code oh my gosh we've got it that's what it is but in every instance we've seen with nixley so far she'll assess her target kind of from a distance Mm. Which, if you think about, she did do with Kara at first as well, to get a lay of their character to some extent. Mm. Then she offers them a solution to their problem, you know, offering some hope. (laughs) She seems to be supportive of them and their goals, which is the help piece. Yep. And then she also seems to, like, vibe with them emotionally at first, which is like the fake sense of compassion. Mm -hmm. So... She does technically give people the thing they want and help them until she's ready to move on to her next goal or until the other person starts deviating from her plans. Right. Yes. Take, for example, Mitch in this episode, who Nixley does not assess from afar this time because she's sort of beamed upon the ship Yes, <laughs> immediately. But he reveals some information about himself to his ultimate detriment, which is there's no way Naxum can resist starting up the menagerie again because now he has a fifth dimensional imp. And Nixley, in explaining that she doesn't have her powers, is like, it's pathetic, really. I mean, who wants to see a powerless imp? I'm afraid I'm useless to you. And conveying, like, a fake vulnerability of, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough for people to want on my own, which is just, like, what Mitch is probably feeling. Like, I am not enough of a draw for Nexum to return and start up the menagerie just because he wants to be with me. I need a thing. I need something external that is impressive to lure him back. (laughs) And then Mitch is like, Nexum isn't going to want to team up with me now and lets Nixley free. And Nixley then sees his creepy Supergirl board (laughs) of newspaper clippings axed out with red, which poor Kara, (laughs) she's got a lot. There's a lot of people with Supergirl, like creepy stuff. Stalker board. Yeah. It's probably better that she doesn't know. <laughs> yes. And Nixley sees that and then gives him exactly what he wants in several different ways, which is a teammate, you know, Naxim isn't going to want to team up with me, and an opportunity to win him back, the actual Naxim himself, and then an opportunity to capture Supergirl who he has a vendetta against. But it's all in pursuit of, for her, she wants to hurt Supergirl to some end. And he's like, why would you help me? And she says, you were just very kind to me when you didn't need to be, which is just the worst because, <laughs> because it's so nice coming from anyone <laughs> that isn't, you know, actually yeah. actively trying to manipulate someone. And that's just the thing that Mitch probably wants, which is like, next him to come back for him, to choose him just because, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, 
being kind for a reason, which ironically, Nixley is actively doing now. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so do we have a deal? He's like, OK. He's very eager. Yeah. And earnest here in a switch from the rest of the scene because he wants that connection and obviously his goal to be met. But that connection piece is what Nixley preys on a lot, actually, with, say, Kara and like making a friend in the Phantom Zone when she's alone and Nia wanting to be with her mom again. And the other situation where we see Nixley use the bizarro hope, help and compassion technique (laughs) is when she is with Kara and she sort of clocks Kara's self-blaming tendencies, like we mentioned earlier, where in the Phantom Zone, Kara blamed herself for her father being in danger. You know, she very much took that weight upon her shoulders. And then in this episode, Nixley captures Kara and then frames Kara as responsible for Nixley's actions because you destroyed my last hope right before my eyes and now she wants revenge. So everything that happens next is supposedly her fault. Mm -hmm. She also makes Kara the person who actively restores her powers and we see Kara internalize it in the scene. She's like, I gave you your powers back, like shocked and upset about it. And (laughs) Nixley does this delighted "Mm mm-hmm. Don't sound so excited about that, Cycles. I was just channeling Nixley. Yeah, again, not maybe goals. (laughs) For the role, for the, anyway. Uh Uh-huh. For the, (laughs) don't stop this. (laughs) No. I'm not evil, guys, I swear. (laughs) And we see how Nixley noticed what Kara cares about through observation from afar, like you mentioned. Like with the Supergirl social media takeover that was on the screen in the ship and Nixley was watching it. And then she goes and destroys the building that Kara was advocating around. It still so reminds me of that scene in Anchorman (laughs) where Ron Burgundy, the main character, accidentally hits this guy who's riding a motorcycle. (laughs) And the guy's really angry and he's like, well, you destroyed something I love. So what do you love? And he names all these abstract things and he's like, oh, and then my dog. And then the character played by Jack Black takes the dog and punts it off a bridge and was like, (laughs) now we're even. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And Nixley metaphorically punts Kara's dog dog off the bridge. (laughs) But we don't quite know what Nixley, what her whole deal is and what maybe she cares about that a more devious person could leverage. But we might find out soon. Maybe so. Yeah, so she's told a different version of her story to everyone. All we know that's probably true is that it does involve her father and a quest for vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is the common theme. (laughs) Yeah. And then the third person who falls prey to Nixley and her fake hope, help, and compassion is Nia, which we saw the groundwork laid for last week. And this week now, the consequences of that decision are kind of coming home to her. Mm. (laughs) Pun. Oh, that's true. The dollhouse. And also, yeah. Yeah. So what's really kind of fun with the Nixley and Nia in the imaginary woods is that this ends up being Nia's version of Kara being trapped in her own mind in season three which with Mm -hmm. Nia as Kara's mentee and now really fully going on the rest of that hero's journey was a very cool connection. So it's Nia's turn to be trapped inside her attic of the mind, which in this case seems to be like a haunted attic. And uh, (laughs) yes, much like we see in season three, Nia does not like this needing to be in her own mind so much. Mm. 
But it's not for the same reasons as Kara when mm-hmm. she was stuck after the fight with Rain. The parts where it is similar is that they both insist that they're not afraid, mm-hmm. but for slightly different reasons. So Nia tells her mom that she's not actually afraid when she's trying to leave her dream before it's over because the symbols in her dream seem like they might be attacking her or they're threatening or scary. Whereas Kara tells Brainy that she's not stuck in the coma because she's actually afraid to wake up again. Mm -hmm. He suggests, you know, you were very badly physically beaten and Kara's like, yeah, that's not the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What actually is going on is they're both trapped And we see, you know, Nia try to go to the front door and get out the same way Kara did. They're both trapped inside these familiar spaces within themselves because they're both stuck and need to figure out something about themselves and who they are and Mm -hmm. what is authentic about who they are. Right. Yeah. For Nia, she's actually afraid this whole time of facing her authentic self and her abilities and strengths in particular. And the reason that it is scary for her is because it means losing people, which is very resonant in terms of, say, a coming out story. Mm, Yeah. And so she makes this dark bargain, as her mother calls it, to connect with loved ones, such as with bringing her mother back. And then also with Maeve, say, in the dream that Nia has in this episode, where little Maeve says, it's beautiful. Can I have it? Pretty please. If you give me the light, I'll love you forever. And it had such a nice horror movie vibe to it. (laughs) It was so, yeah, that was something. (laughs) (laughs) But Nia's not only, you know, making a dark bargain in terms of hiding her powers from Maeve and, and then also trying to give them to her, but in actively making the choice every day to not trust herself with her powers because it, it feels like a betrayal and she's afraid of it. And in this episode, like Kara, she hides from her truth, her authentic self, using facts and like the correct way to do things, which is trying to interpret her dreams using like textbook dream interpretation rules as opposed to understanding herself. And then we also see her try to hide from the choice she made, which, you know, in terms of authenticity, being true to yourself also means, unfortunately, that the dark parts and the poor decisions that you make. Mm. And so Nia's mom hammers home the necessity of resiliency and facing the difficult parts of being yourself and being authentic. And then she lightens up a little bit toward the end. A little. <laughs> Emphasizing the nicer part, yeah. which is, if you are willing to face them, your dreams will give you everything you need. <laughs> In terms of Nia's mom's like intense personality, you pointed out that she reminded you of like hollow Laura. Yeah. And just that bit of direction that Laura Benanti always talked about, about having it have the emotional distance of just a greeting card as opposed to <laughs> like a fully alive right. person. And there was that distance with Nia's mom. Like she clearly still was very loving towards Nia, but there was also this kind of detached, like I've moved on to the afterlife now. <laughs> you're, you're on your own beautiful daughter go for it like yeah <laughs> go for it yes and after Nia's mom lightens up a little bit <laughs> she gets to the core message of Nia's story which is my darling girl your authentic self is the greatest gift you give to the world and Nia comes to the realization hiding my light hurt me and never helped anyone mm. and it hits at this idea with regard to authenticity and vulnerability and how they coincide and how the thing that makes you vulnerable including maybe like traumatic experiences 
decisions you made that you regret are the opportunities that you have in order to help the people around you and and to be a pro-social force in the world, Mm. like we see with Kara and we saw with Orlando. And we saw with Nia, especially in Reality Bites in season five where Nia's experiences as a trans woman not being wholly positive, obviously, helped her to help her roommate. Mm. And so Nia's coming to that realization that hiding her authentic self, including the parts that make her feel ashamed or make her uncomfortable or make her lose other people, is not actually helpful in the way that she wishes that it was. Which I love that she has this realization, thinking back to when Kara confided in her that she was Supergirl in season four, she said, I think it will help you and won't harm you to know the truth of who I am. Yeah, that's nice. We love that for them. Yes. (laughs) And so moving on to another character who tries to do things the right way, kind of like Nia with her dreams. Yes. We have Kelly, who struggles with perfectionism up against authenticity and her authentic self and way of doing things. We know that Kelly is a person who generally tries to do the right things or the responsible things. <laughs> I always think back to that scene in Oh Brother, We're Out Thou in season four, where... Yes, your favorite. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> I chose the safe option. Things aren't supposed to go wrong with the safe option. And just this energy with her, where we then see that she has a hard time seeing her place in the group because there's no predefined, like, perfect role for her. She has to, like, make it happen. <laughs> like, in this episode, she gets Alex on the ground, <laughs> which is the goal of the scene. But Kelly says, doesn't matter. It's not the move you showed me. Even though Alex is like, you know. But it worked. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. But then, you know, Alex is also another person who likes to do things the right way. And, and she just kind of struggles and keeps going because she kind of understands the urge that Kelly has there to get the specific move right. Mm. But then Kelly later has a conversation with Kara where she says, but I couldn't get the move that she was showing me. And Kara's like, who cares? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is such Kara energy. It just reminds me of the scene in season one where Alex asks Kara to hand her the screwdriver and Kara just pulls the lid off with her bare hands. And Alex is like, that works, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which I think Carr is a good person for Kelly to talk to here because she's just naturally about doing what the situation needs as opposed to sticking to the rules or even considering the rules. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, Alex is also a person who will do what the situation needs, but it's more in a push comes to shove kind Mm -hmm. of way. She's more comfortable within structure, like we talked about a lot in season five. In the same way that Kelly here is trying to carve a space out for herself without a predefined structure, Alex did that last year. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) But let's look a little bit closer at the Kelly and Kara scene in this episode, which is nice. Let us. This scene nicely paralleled a scene that Kara had with James in season one, where they were also punching things (laughs) to get out anger. Yes. And it's interesting with regard to authenticity, because in season one, James and Kara were struggling with expectations, in particular around anger and like whether or not it was okay for them to be angry. And the message was not (laughs) because Kara as Supergirl and as a woman and then James as a black man. Mm, yeah. And then also expectations around like Kat berating Kara for not being like the perfect assistant. It was mostly about Kat going through something, but Kara's receiving that message of like, you're messing things up. <laughs> and then for James, he's struggling with General Lane thinking that he's not good enough to date Lucy. And James is punching the punching bag and saying, I'm not holding Lucy back. 
And in season six, Kara and Kelly are letting out some anger and frustration in the same way. And for Kelly, she is also fearing that she can't keep up with Alex and the others. And, and that same sort of not good enough fear that James had. But with regard to being on this team, mm. those Olsons. <laughs> it's also kind of interesting that Kelly's concern is that she can't keep up with Alex because Alex's driving concern for years is that she can't keep up with Kara. So it's like <laughs> mm. everybody's just chasing that her. person the next level up. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Oh, And they just need to learn, you know, their authentic self is good enough, <laughs> which takes us back to Kelly and that idea of perfectionism versus authenticity. Kelly saves the very mean white lady <laughs> using a corkboard as a shield when the glass on a door is about to shatter. That was a nice yeah. scene for her hero's journey. Yes. And she says then about it, being a great superhero isn't about mastering a single move, which is a metaphor in favor of like diverse ways of doing things with like a diverse group of people. Mm. She says it's about adapting. Which then matches actually what Alex said earlier in the season. Yeah. About how they all bring their strengths to the table. Yes. And how that authenticity is a strength. Yeah. And the imperfection is a strength in a way. And so Kelly, instead of completing the task to perfection, chooses to do things in a way that is natural for her and plays to her strengths that she has. Yeah. So that wraps up our general discussion of authenticity as it applied to the characters in this episode, Still I Rise. Yeah. And it will not be a theme that goes away. No, entirely. it definitely will not. But we did have an assortment of other just stray observations about this episode because there was some hilarious and great stuff in it. <laughs> Truly. One of my favorite moments, which was like just a couple seconds, really. <laughs> Was Andrea having a moment of empathy? <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I know. Orlando was giving his speech and Andrea was watching and she goes from this very like smug like, ah, my plan is working to make Kako <laughs> a powerful media company. But then Julie, the actress, does a good job with this. Her face shifts slowly from like pleased to like feeling something for him. <laughs> yeah. Which is the thing that I've been looking for <laughs> for Andrea <laughs> going from her very like corporate bottom line driven. She needs those clicks. Single minded. Yeah. Click goals <laughs> <laughs> to actually feeling something about the things that she's trying to do. To actually feeling genuinely that she is making a positive force in the world and being happy about it in that way. And I've been wondering what the thing would be. And this obviously has not changed her whole personality, but it no. was nice <laughs> to see that like it's not Kara giving a speech, that it was Orlando talking about his personal experiences. It was one of the little people, <laughs> as she might put it, as a corporate giant. Oh, gosh, truly. Yes. It was almost like last season where Lena has that connection with Steve in the prison, right. but minus the part where Lena owned a prison and was experimenting on people. <laughs> minus that part, yes. That slight detail. Yeah. yeah, which I always do enjoy, like, finding the moment in a character where things start to shift from being, like, a selfish end to I care about other things. <laughs> yes, which then makes her enthusiasm for the Super Friends that much more funny in light of how we said last week, maybe she just secretly wants to be friends with them. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Speaking of super friends and also Andrea interacting with people in this episode, <laughs> Kara had some amazing face journey adventures in this episode, mm -hmm. a couple of which were in scenes with Andrea. So, um, <laughs> yes. There was her grimace 
at the idea of doing the live stream and then also her just look of what on earth just happened when Andrea walked away telling Kara <laughs> the opposite of all the things that she wanted. <laughs> yes, uh, which it's Kara's been going through it. So it's been nice to see a little bit of comedy. <laughs> yeah, that was great. There was also the pain in her eyes throughout her PSA with Brainy at the thought of endorsing those horrible, horrible <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> you guys could see how he feels about vegetables. Um, I think they are great for other people. <laughs> She's being authentic to herself. And here at Supergirl's Attic, we say, don't eat your vegetables. No, no, it's not your vegetables. It was specifically the green vegetables. <laughs> Okay. That Kara's not a fan of. There's also kind of, while she's in the tower after the whole debacle with the PSA, <laughs> this beat of her realizing that she can hear people in the other room and she knows it's Alex and Kelly, but she's like not sure what, what's happening for a second. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there's a look on her face for a moment where she's not sure if it's an emergency or if it's not sure she should just like not go there at all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It was just a good little face acting moment. Mm-hmm. And then also going back to the food thing, Kara did at least get some of the kinds of food she enjoys in this episode, which was cute. Mm-hmm. But I loved her kind of belated reaction to William when he's asking her to, like, taste test his new, like, hippie vegan alternative red. Because <laughs> he knows, speaking of authenticity, he trusts that her reactions are genuine about food. <laughs> but she just starts eating it and she's so focused that it doesn't register at first. And then you just see her face flicker when she recognizes <laughs> that there's, like, food that she enjoys in her mouth. Yeah, and she's like, yes. this is amazing. It's so funny because she says no first and then she's eating it without thinking. She just does it. (laughs) (laughs) And then she can't help but enjoy it. Yeah, it was great. It's very Kara. It was extremely Kara. It's nice that we've seen in the last couple of episodes little nods to her mental recovery process through her enjoyment of food, which has Mm. been kind of fun. Speaking of things that were fun, super cute. Kelly signed up to get Supergirl... (laughs) alerts about the PSA because she is a supportive friend and that was hilarious <laughs> her reaction when Kara was like oh no because <laughs> Kelly's obviously doing it because she's like proud of her yeah well and I told <laughs> you like, there oh. was there was something in the little smile that she gives Kara at the end that reminded me of Makad <laughs> with his like James like he yeah silly yeah, joking sort of like, like okay yeah that like teasing <laughs> smile <laughs> yes siblings And then uh, my last thing, we didn't talk about this last week, but we're still seeing those musical motifs like sneaking their way in for the theater nerds out here. (laughs) And I'm loving this Into the Woods vibe that they started last Mm -hmm. week very literally with Nia. But number one, we had, (laughs) I started laughing to you about the PSA because I was like, oh my God, the greens, greens, nothing but greens with the witch. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right, right. So there was that. But also the main idea in Into the Woods is essentially be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in particular that I thought of after this episode, which is wishes may bring problems such that you regret them. Better that, though, than to never get them, which was kind of... The point mm. Nia's mom made to her before she disappears back into the afterlife. Right. So I will be quite content if that's the motif for the season, because the ultimate right. conclusion to that story is that you can face scary things if you have help. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes, you can go into the woods and you'll be OK. Yes. 
And speaking of musicals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Next week is Mixie in the Middle. Apparently there shall be some sort of musical element. We don't know how deep the rabbit hole goes there, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to finding out. We have been told that there is singing and it will be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Someone's <laughs> catering to our tastes specifically. <laughs> uh, obviously. <laughs> that's clearly. definitely what it is. I mean, magic. Yeah, that's true. Magic, changing mm. whole systems, the food, <laughs> yes. the food thing. <laughs> the food thing. Which I didn't mm. realize. And then I was looking through our episodes that haven't gotten as much attention and one of them was our one we did about symbolism of food and uh, like the four different things that we talked about after the end of season five before the really long hiatus have been in this part of season six so that's been kind of fun (laughs) yeah has been fun yeah yeah so we're we're looking forward to seeing what happens next yeah nixley and mixie together should be hilarious and fascinating so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am really glad they rebooted Mixus Pitlick. He is so much more enjoyable, I think, in the way comic Mixie is meant to be. So Yes. <laughs> and if you have any questions or comments about this episode or Mixie in the Middle when it comes out, please send them to us at Supergirls Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, etc. Or, you know, we also wouldn't mind a comment on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. So we'll see you next week for episode 11 of season six. And thanks for listening.